Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we'll finally see Joseph's dreams starting to come true. And then we'll focus a lot on his brothers and their guilty conscience and talk a little bit about how to free ourselves from a guilty conscience. Genesis 42, Lesson 6. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Now, if you've been listening every week, you know that previously I did not have the Joseph study in writing on my website, but I do now. So if you would like to go and purchase the study to go along with what you're listening to, then you can go to the website now and it's there. It's called the Sons of Israel study. Now, last week, Joseph got out of prison and interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And the purpose of Pharaoh's dreams was to let him know that there was going to be seven years of plenty in the land, and then there was going to be seven years of famine. And so Joseph proposed to him that he find a man that would collect food during the time of plenty so that there would be enough food when the famine came. And Pharaoh liked that idea and actually put Joseph in charge of that. And so Joseph is now second in charge of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, he collected one-fifth, 20% of all of the food that was in the land of Egypt so that they would have food for the famine. And so that's where we pick up in Genesis 42 is the famine has come and the people are going to Joseph to get food because they don't have anything growing in their own fields. Egypt is the only place that has food anywhere around. And so if you want to go back and look at that study, if you didn't listen to it, we talked a lot about the purpose of Joseph having to go through all of the suffering before he was allowed to become second in charge of Egypt and what God might be doing within our own suffering and how we can have hope and trust him within that. And so if you happen to miss that, you will definitely want to go back because there's a lot of scripture that we can refer to whenever we're struggling. Today, we're going to go ahead and start reading in Genesis 42. So it says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to the place and buy food for us there that we may live and not die. So I'm going to stop right there because I just thought it was funny how this was written. Why do you just sit and look at each other? Like, do something. We're kind of hungry here and you can't just sit around and do nothing. That's basically what Jacob said. And I just thought it was funny that he was like, Why do you just sit around looking at each other? We need some food. Go get some food in Egypt. 
And I just wonder if you have ever sat paralyzed because of your situation, you know, because it's just too overwhelming. And so that may have been the situation that they were in. It's just overwhelming. What do I do? I have no idea. I know I've done that before. There's so much to do that I don't know where to start or it's just so overwhelming. I don't even want to think about how to handle this situation. Or have you ever just sat around and talked about a problem endlessly or thought about something endlessly, but done nothing about it? You know, that's also something that we do sometimes while we would be just sitting around looking at each other. Churches and organizations are famous for this, right? Of just having meeting after meeting, talking about this or that, never doing it. And so while I think it is good if we have a lot of time and we can pray about things and we can wait until we feel clear direction from God, I think that's very smart to do whenever we've got time. But there are times whenever things just need to be done and you can't sit around and be indecisive and just do nothing because like in this situation, you're just going to starve to death. And so a lot of times, just by not making a decision, we are making a decision. We just don't realize it. But it's a decision by default because the decision is do nothing. The decision is let this take its course. And sometimes that's the thing that needs to happen, but it needs to be a proactive decision that we've decided we're just not going to do anything and let things happen as they do, as opposed to I'm just too overwhelmed or I don't exactly know what to do. So I'm just going to sit around and do nothing and by default choose that as a decision. So I just wanted to point out that I don't think that that's a productive problem solving strategy to just make decisions by default. I think that we need to be be proactive and decisive and not get so overwhelmed that we just don't want to think about anything. A lot of times we just are like, I'll think about that later. I'll think about that later. I'll deal with that later because it's just too overwhelming. And at some point later comes, the time comes when it has to, a decision has to be made. And then you haven't been thinking about it, haven't been praying about it. You haven't been looking at anything. There's a difference between praying about it and watching and waiting and listening to the Lord and then just putting it out of your mind because it's too much. And then also thinking about it endlessly, talking about it endlessly, but being so afraid that we're going to make the wrong decision that we also do nothing. Those are just two bad problem-solving strategies. So we need to be proactive. We need to be decisive. And that's kind of what Jacob is saying. He's like, hey, why don't you stop just sitting around looking at each other and do something? So anyways, I just thought that that was a lesson to us. Let's go ahead and move on and read in verse 3. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity fall upon him. And so the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Okay, so we're going to stop right there because I want you to notice how all these years later, By the way, it's been about 20 years, maybe a little over, since Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and since Jacob thought that Joseph was dead. And so 20 years later, Jacob is really holding on to Benjamin. He is protecting him as his top priority, you know, because he's the only thing that he has left of Rachel. Rachel was his beloved wife and she's gone. And then her oldest son, Joseph, was gone. And Benjamin's all that he has left of her. And he is not going to even risk at all any possible thing happening to Benjamin. But I wanted you to notice 
the brother's reaction towards him. Obviously, we don't know their exact reaction because it doesn't tell anything, but it told us how they felt about Joseph, right? We knew for sure how they felt about Joseph whenever Jacob was favoring Joseph. And the brothers do not feel the same about him favoring Benjamin, it doesn't seem. So, you know, maybe they've matured over the years. Maybe in Joseph's absence, then they could actually see how much they had hurt their dad and they didn't want to do that to him. Maybe they felt guilty for what they'd done to Joseph. I mean, I guess it's possible that they just loved Benjamin more and didn't have any issue with him. But I think it's more probable that they saw the grief that they caused their father and now they just want to make it better for him. They'll do anything to make sure that he doesn't feel what he felt whenever Joseph was gone. Anyway, regardless of what the purpose is, it's interesting to see the difference in how they treated Benjamin. And we're going to be looking at that all the way through. Let's go ahead and move on. I just wanted you to pay attention to that as we were going through. Beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Hmm. They came and bowed down to Joseph. Where have we heard that before? That was Joseph's dream, right? He had two dreams in the beginning that made his brothers furious. And the dream said, you will bow down to me and I will rule over you. That's why we said at the first of this, that this is the start of Joseph's dreams coming true, because this is the first time that his brothers come and bow down to him, just as he had dreamed about. Okay, let's go ahead and move on. So verse seven says, Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And he said, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And then Joseph remembered his dreams that he had dreamed about them and said, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men, your servants, and not spies. Okay, we're going to stop right there just for a second. So Joseph recognized all the brothers, but they did not recognize him. And so I first want to talk about why is that? Why did they not recognize him, but he recognized them? First of all, you have to realize that they never expected to see Joseph ever again, much less in a position of authority or in Egypt as an Egyptian official. And so when they see an Egyptian official, they assume he's an Egyptian official. They don't think, oh, that could be my presumed dead brother. And Egyptian royalty had a very specific look. Most likely his head was completely shaved and it's very possible that all the hair on his body was shaved. That was a very common custom back then. And so most likely his head was shaved. He was completely bald and he had a big headdress on. And then he probably had lots of jewelry and his clothes probably had a lot of decoration on them, a lot of ornamental things on his clothes. And so he would look like an Egyptian 
it says later that he spoke to them through an interpreter. So it doesn't seem that he's a Hebrew in any way because he's speaking the Egyptian language. He looks like an Egyptian. He is presenting himself as the second in charge of Egypt, which he is. But that would make them assume that he is not a long lost Hebrew shepherd, right? And so for them, he's exactly who he's presenting himself to be and nothing else. Now, on their end, they would be dressed the same. They would have the same profession. They are speaking Hebrew. There are 10 of them all together. And so they would just be older. They would just be 10 older brothers for Joseph. And so it would make much more sense. And Joseph was the youngest, remember, and he was only 17 years old when they last saw him. And so the others were adults, even if they were young adults. And so he would have changed the most from all of the brothers because he was the youngest also. So that is the reason that they did not recognize him, but he recognized them. And then if you notice, he took complete advantage of that. He's like, they have no idea who I am. So I'm going to just keep it to myself who I am and maybe test them just a little bit. And so he starts asking them questions. He's like, I don't believe you. I don't think you just came here for food. I think you're spies. And so listen to what happens after he accuses them of being spies. We're going to continue in verse 12 after he's just accused them of being spies. And they said, no, we're not spies. We are honest men, all one man's sons. And then in verse 12, Joseph said, no, but you've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, saying that you are spies. And so they inadvertently gave him a lot of information, right? Because they had no idea who he was. And so when he started accusing them of being spies and they tried to prove that they weren't, they were telling them everything about themselves so that he would know who they really were. And in doing that, in telling that they were 12 brothers, that one was left home with the father and one was no more, that let him know that Jacob and Benjamin were both still doing well, or at least both still alive. And so he learns a little bit about his dad and his brother at this moment. Now, notice that they also talked about him without realizing that they were talking to him. They were telling him about himself and they said that one is no more. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it must have been so difficult to hear them talk about him like that. And, you know, I was refreshed just to hear that they didn't say, and one was eaten by a wild beast. Because if they continued to repeat that lie, then we would think that they didn't feel guilty about it or, you know, that they were fine continuing to say that lie. But they didn't. They just said he is no more. He isn't with us anymore. We don't know if they believed him to be dead now or if they just knew that he wasn't with them anymore and the father believed him to be dead. Last, they knew they sold him to some Ishmaelites. And so they may have known that the Ishmaelites were going to Egypt and probably assumed that he was sold there, but that's really all they know. But at least, I don't know, I felt more comforted to know that they weren't continuing to repeat their lies. 
I think that it's, you know, horrible to lie once, but the more times you lie, the easier it gets. And the more times you lie, the less guilty you feel about what you did and about the lie that you told. And so I was just comforted to know that they weren't continuing to at least repeat the lie that they had told their father. Okay, let's move on to verse 15. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there's any truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to the prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so that the words will be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we wouldn't hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. And they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Okay, so that was quite a lot, but we're going to go ahead and break it down. So what happened at the first is that Joseph said, no, I believe you're spies. And if you want to prove to me that you're not spies, then one of you can go home and get your brother and bring him back to me so that I can see. But the rest of you will remain in prison. And then after he told them that, he threw them all in prison. And after three days, he went back to them and he said, you know, I fear God and I can't keep you all in prison with a clear conscience. You know, that's what he's saying is that because I believe in God, I am too afraid to keep all of you in prison here. And so I'm just going to let one of you stay and the other ones go home and carry this food to your family. But when you come back, I need you to bring your brother Benjamin so that I can see if you're telling the truth. And so he switched it from one of them going to one of them staying. But notice that he did throw them all in prison for three days. And that just kind of goes back again to what was Joseph feeling? You know, he must have been having so many emotions. He must have been glad to see his brothers and then also skeptical. He must have been a little bit wanting to get a little revenge and then apparently thought the better of it, you know, because he was going to keep them all in prison. And that had to be a little bit of just getting them back, you know. But then he knew that that wasn't something that was going to please God. And, you know, that's just a lesson to us that sometimes we just have to go against our feelings and do what's right. And he knew what the right thing to do was. And he was always following God, even against his own desires. But I'm sure that it was tempting to just want to punish them just a tiny bit. I mean, three days in prison is nothing in comparison to all the years that he was in prison and all the time that he spent as a slave. So that was his temptation. But he ended up letting all of them go or telling them that he would let all of them go but one and that one of them would stay in prison. And he said it was because he feared God. And that word there for God is not just he feared a God like I have 
a fear of some God here in Egypt or whatever. This word for God was the word that the Hebrews used for God. And so that should have been a hint to them. They should have seen like, why is he afraid of the Hebrew God? Because the Egyptians worship several gods, but the Hebrew God is not one of them. So why would he be afraid of the Hebrew God? That should have given them a little bit of a hint, but they were so believing what they were seeing and probably so afraid and just so relieved that they were all getting out of jail that they did not even think anything about this. And then notice that they just started talking amongst themselves and didn't realize that he could understand them because obviously he was speaking through an interpreter and speaking Egyptian language. And so they thought that he didn't understand anything they were saying. So I want you to notice this because this is a very important scripture within this passage. And so I'm going to read it again, beginning in verse 21. It says, they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we wouldn't hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And so they realized, hey, we're not guilty of being spies, but we are guilty of what we did to Joseph. And apparently, we're finally going to get our punishment for that. Somehow, all these 20-something years, we've gotten away with this, but it's finally coming back to bite us. And honestly, it should because we are guilty. We are guilty of what we did to him and we saw how upset he was and we just didn't care. And so we deserve whatever we get. And that must have just helped Joseph a little bit to hear them talking. First of all, it must have been horrible to hear them talking about that day again and reminding him of how he pleaded with them and they didn't listen. That had to have been horrible. But also to listen to them and know that even if they only acknowledged it to each other, they did know that they were guilty, that they had done something wrong. And it seems that they feel remorse. It's at least a hint that they might feel remorse for what they had done. And they definitely knew that they should be in trouble for it. You know, they knew that they deserved something bad for what they had done to him. You know, for all the bad that they did to Joseph, And the only suffering that they really had done is just to watch their dad grieve. That's really all. And so they're looking at this time now and they're saying, you know what? We really deserved so much more than we got and not spies, but we did something wrong. And apparently it's coming back to get us at this point. And then notice also that Reuben immediately starts to tell them, you know, I told you not to do this in the first place and y'all wouldn't listen to me either. Then this language that he uses when he said his blood is now required of us, that gives the language saying that their sin was attempted murder. That's why his blood would be required of them is if they attempted or succeeded to murder him. And so he's like, you know, it was a serious crime and you wouldn't listen to what I said. And now we deserve harsh punishment for this. And then notice that he just randomly chooses Simeon to put in prison. You know, he said one of you is going to have to stay and the other ones can go home. And Simeon is the one that he chose. And we don't really know exactly why he did that, but it's possible that he did that because he just found out that Reuben never wanted this in the first place. And Reuben was the oldest. So Reuben would have been the one most responsible for the rest of the brothers. 
he would have been the one that should have said, you know, no, this is wrong. We're not going to do this and led his family in that way as the oldest son. And now that Joseph has found out that Reuben did do that, you know, he might would have held Reuben most responsible because he was the oldest and Reuben might should have been the one that he would have thrown in prison. But now that he found out that Reuben tried to stop that, then it wouldn't be appropriate for him to hold Reuben most responsible. And Simeon was the next oldest son. And so he would have been the one that would have been the most responsible for not doing something to make them stop. So that could have been the reason. It could have just been random. It could have been that he liked Simeon, actually, and he just wanted to spend some time with him. I mean, we don't really know, but I think it's likely that he's holding him responsible and keeping him there because he's the oldest that didn't take responsibility for it. Okay, so let's read the rest of our passage for today, starting in verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack and give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkey with grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who was lord of the land spoke roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so that I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. We'll read the rest of this chapter next week. But it's interesting why in the first place Joseph would give them their money back, all of them. Maybe he was really doing a kindness to them, or maybe he was trapping them. Who really knows? But it certainly put the fear of God in them, for sure. And when the first brother found the money in his sack, notice how they said, what is this that God has done to us? And so they said, God must be the one that's doing this to us because no one else knows what we did to Joseph. God's the only one that knows. And apparently he wants us to continue to be in trouble. When we go back to see the Egyptians to get more food, he wants them to have reason to think that we're dishonest because we took this money. And it seems that they just think they weren't punished enough. You know, they they said in the first place, you know, this is happening to us because of what we did to Joseph. And then Joseph let them all go, except for Simeon. And so maybe they felt like they had gotten away with something a little bit. And they were like, you know, it was just too good to be true that we were allowed to ride away from there. Now we're in trouble. You know, God is not going to let us escape our punishment. We are going to have to pay. Something bad's going to happen to us. So their guilt was definitely getting the better of them, right? 
And then once they returned home, they realized it wasn't just one person, but all of their money had been returned. And so, you know, they got home, they told Jacob everything, and then they opened their sacks and found that all of them had had their money returned. And so they're like, this was not a mistake. I do not know what is happening, but we are going to be in a lot of trouble. God is trying to make sure that the Egyptians have reason to get us because of what we did to Joseph. We are not going to get away with this. And so that's where I want us to spend the rest of our focus on this lesson is just how do we feel when we've seemingly got away with something? You know, does it eat away at us? And are we always just looking around the corner waiting to be found out? That's what it seems like is that for 20 years, their guilty conscience has just weighed so heavy upon them that every time something happens, they're like, this must be my punishment. God is not going to let us get away with what we did to Joseph. We are going to be in trouble and this must be it. You know, this must be our punishment. And then every time they get a little bitty punishment, they're like, you know what? That wasn't it. We deserve so much more. When are we going to be found out and really suffer the punishment that we deserve for what we did? I mean, I think that is how we feel. I think God gives us that guilty conscience so that we will repent, so that we will confess, so that we will do something to cleanse ourselves from that guilt. And until then, we just have that guilty conscience and we're always looking over our shoulder. And that's a miserable, miserable place to live. But I think it's from God because if we're miserable enough, maybe we will do the right thing and confess our sins. I want to read you a couple of verses on that. The first is found in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, and it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's what they have done. They've covered their sins. And so this says that they're not going to prosper while they're trying to cover their sins. But if they confess their sins and forsake them, turn away from them, repent of them, then they will have mercy. And so that's why God weighs heavy on us, why our consciences are guilty when we seemingly get away with covering our sins up, because he wants us to confess them and forsake them so that we can receive mercy. Now listen to this next one. It's in 1 John 1, 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess, you know, the other verse said we receive mercy. This verse says when we confess that God is faithful and He's fair to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all of the unrighteousness that we feel. So if we want to feel clean again, if we want to feel free from our sin and feel righteous again, then we have to confess our sins to God. Okay, this is the last one. Now, this is a whole chapter, but it's such a good chapter and it touches on this in several places. And so I want us to read Psalm 32. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So blessed is the man whose sin is covered. Wait, earlier we said don't cover your sin, right? And now it's saying, oh, but we're blessed if our sin is covered. No, it doesn't say we're blessed if we cover our sin. It says we're blessed if our sin is covered. So our sin is covered here in this verse by Jesus's blood. That's how we are blessed by our sin being covered, is if it's covered in the blood of Jesus. 
if we have accepted his sacrifice and allowed him to save us from that sin and cover it in his blood. Blood is what reconciles us to God. It shows payment for that sin. And so since Jesus paid the price for our sin, he can take that blood and he can cover us in that. And then when God looks at us, he can see, oh, that sin's been paid. I see the blood sacrifice for that. And so if we want our sins to be forgiven and covered, we have to go to the one that can cover them. And that's Jesus. It says we are also blessed if the Lord doesn't impute our sins on us, does not give us our sins, doesn't look on us and see our sins, and if our spirit has no deceit in it. Well, are these brothers being deceiving? I mean, they were deceiving to their own father by showing him Joseph's bloody coat and making him think that he had been eaten by wild animals. And then all this time letting their father believe a lie. So they're blessed if there's no deceit found in them, but there is deceit found in them. And so the only way to cover that deceit is for them to confess their sins. Now, listen to what it says in verse three. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So notice what he said. He said, when he kept silent, his bones got old and God's hand was heavy on him all the day long. That's what I was talking about, about the guilty conscience being from God. God is making their hearts heavy until they confess. And so he says, when I wouldn't confess, your hand was heavy on me and I was just withering away. But when I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't hide it anymore and confessed it to you, then you forgave it. And so again, how we were talking about covering our sin and the way to get it covered. This talks about hiding our sin. And he says he didn't hide it anymore. Now, listen to the rest of this. For this cause, everyone who is godly should pray to you in a time when you should be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. So he says in that verse before, I have not hidden my sin from you. And then now it says, you are my hiding place. So it's the same thing. It doesn't say that we can't hide. It just says we can't hide our sin. We have to reveal it and then hide in him. If we have to hide, let's go hide with the one that can save us. The one that can preserve us from trouble, as this verse says. The one that can deliver us from our sin. That's our natural tendency, cover and hide. And God says, okay, you want cover? You want to hide? Fine. Then come to me and let my son cover you with his blood. So that when I look on you, I will see that the debt has been paid and then hide in me so that I can keep you from trouble and surround you with deliverance. Hide in me. Don't hide from me. Hide in me. Listen to verse eight. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come to you. 
So that's what he's saying. Don't go over there and hide where I have to go find you and drag you back to me. Just come to me, confess your sins, hide in me, and then I'll instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go and guide you. Isn't that a better way? Don't be like the horse and the mule that doesn't understand anything and I have to go and grab them and pull them to make them come near to me. That's not who I want you to be. Come to me, confess your sins, hide in me. Last two verses, verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Many sorrows will be to the wicked, but the one that trusts in God will find mercy. Be glad in the Lord. So that's what we do. We recognize that if we have a guilty conscience, it is from God. It is God's hand heavy on you so that you will confess your sins, let them be covered by the blood of Jesus so that they may be forgiven, and then you go hide in God, the one that can deliver you, the one that can keep you, the one that will teach you and instruct you instead of being the one that runs from him that he has to go chase and keep his hand heavy on you until you repent. That's what these brothers are going through right now. They've not gotten away with their sin. They're in torment because of it. They're constantly looking over their shoulder waiting for something bad to happen to them because they know that they deserve that. And so if you're like that today, if you happen to be a person that has done something and you know that you need to confess that so that you can be free, then do that. Don't allow yourself to be in constant fear of being found out. Go to the one that is worthy of our hiding, the one that can actually take care of us and cover our sin. So that's the lesson today. I hope that it has been something that will help you whenever you're tempted to hide your sin or at this moment when you may be. Let God free you of it. There is just no reason to live 20-something years looking over your shoulder with a guilty conscience. There's just no reason for it. Just go to God right off. Okay, so next week we're going to find out if Jacob lets them take Benjamin with them or not. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. And then leave me comments wherever you're listening. If you have thoughts about uh, the things that we talked about today, if you'd like to share your experiences or ask any questions. Also, leave me a five-star review. If you like what you're hearing, that'll help me. And then, like I said, just join me next week so that we can finish the rest of this story. Thanks and have a good day. Mm -hmm.